Good morning. Is this thing on? It is. Awesome. Good morning, River Ridge Church. Good morning, those of you that are here on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis. And good morning to those of you that are here for the first time. We're super excited to have you as we kick off this new sermon series called The Other 316s. Uh, I want to take a quick side note, really quick. Was anybody watching that video close enough to tell me, I think that guy's Bible was purple and pink. Um, I think he was using a purple and pink Bible. That's okay. As long as he's reading it, it's fine. Uh, but I just, I, like, I'm kind of colorblind, so I'm not really sure. Maybe it was blue and red, but I think it was purple and pink. So this morning, I get the awesome privilege of hanging out with you guys and starting off our sermon series called The Other 316s. And if I were to say John 316 right now, all of you all, or most of you all, would have this instantaneous thought For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever perishes and believes in him would not perish, sorry, but have eternal life. I'm obviously not brushed up on my Bible memorization. I apologize. So most of us know it, except for the student ministry director, so that's good. Um, But the cool thing about the Bible is the Bible is for us. You know, the Bible was written as a tool for you and I as we're living everyday life trying to follow Jesus and trying to make it through life. And so the thing about it is, John 3.16 is amazing, and that's an awesome verse for us to know, but there's a lot of other really good 3.16 verses. So the first thing that comes up when I think of John 3.16 is obviously my man, the greatest football player of all time. Oh, you ruined the surprise. Uh, Okay, by greatest football player of all time, I mean he was kind of okay in college. Everybody give it up for Tim Tebow. Yes. Yeah, and, and Tim, or Timmy, as we'll call him this morning, because I feel like it's a little more endearing, Timmy Tebow uh, used to be known for putting verses on his eye black, and I'm not in sports, so I can't tell you why they wear that thing, but all I know is this is pretty cool. I mean, Tim Tebow would walk out on the football field with John 3.16 or other verses written on his eye black, and the Christian community loved that. But when I think of this, I ask myself, like, as we're talking about the other 3.16s, Why would Timmy not, like, use a different verse? I mean, John 3.16 is great, but maybe Genesis 3.16 would be a better way of going about it. And Genesis 3.16 is an awesome verse that applies to all of us. It says this, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. (laughs) Children, ah. And then... Your desires will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And so as I think about it, Genesis 3.16 probably didn't apply that well to most of us. So it's probably a good thing that Timmy didn't put that on his eye black. But the, the next verse, I like that's probably not what we're trying to, to convey to the world. The next one, I think, maybe applies a little more, and it is Leviticus 3.16. And it says this, and this is really relevant to all of us right now here in 2019, says this, thank you, Tim, for writing Leviticus 3.16 up there. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering, a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. And you're like, okay, so maybe these 3.16 verses are kind of weird. But the reality is, for Tim Tebow, this may have made complete sense. I mean, we know a couple things about Tebow. One, not that good at football. Two, he's keto and he likes fat. So, If we go back, it does say, all the fat is the Lord's. And so that would apply to Tebow. And I think a little bit to you and I as we're approaching barbecue season. And we can just imagine that awesome smell of the cookout of that goat burning on the altar. So 
Starting there, I think there are some really great 316 verses in the Bible that do apply to us. And today, we're going to get a chance to look at one that I think is really applicable to everybody in here. And the verse that we're going to check out today is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. So if you have your Bible or if you do that new age thing of like scrolling on your Bible on your phone, you can pull that out too. We're not going to get you, uh, get you in trouble for having your phone out in class. But today, as we talk about 2 Thessalonians 3.16, the reason I think this verse is so cool is because it truly does apply to everyone in every season. You know, this verse that we're about to go over today applies to kids. It applies to teenagers. Shout out to my high school friends. It applies to adults, and it applies to seniors. Not going to make an old joke about my mom here. It applies to men, and it applies to women It even applies to those of us that are following Christ and trying to live the Christian life. But I think it also applies to those of you who are here who may be on the fence and aren't sure what you believe about Jesus. And the reason it applies to all of us is that I think it speaks to a common struggle that every single one of us has in every season of life. And that struggle is a feeling of busyness, a feeling of stress, a feeling of restlessness, a feeling of hurt, a feeling of pain, of anxiety. You know, I don't know about you, but lately, it feels like life continues to get busier and busier. You may have heard the saying that May is the new December because there's graduation parties and all these different things to do. We're preparing for summer, getting ready for vacations, getting ready for a big kick, doing churches left the building. All of that happens in May And I think that there's some truth in that. I think May might be the new December, but I think June and July and August and September and all the other months are also really busy and really stressful. You know, the thing about life is that most months are becoming busy and hectic. And honestly, for myself, I've noticed this pattern. When I get stressed out and when I become busy, I I become more stressed. And when, we, when I become more stressed, it can, very, uh, it can become very easy to rely on myself. And I think all of us can kind of understand that. When life gets busy, we want to rely on ourselves because we think we can trust in ourselves. But the problem is, that just doesn't work. And as we're in that cycle, this chaotic cycle of life, the thing is, there's nothing that this world has to offer that can really give us true relief from that busyness and that stress. You know, it seems that the things that we go to in order to find calm actually a lot of times give us more chaos. And I think that'll resonate as we continue moving further through this. And so the first point that I want to make, because I feel like we need to set this sermon up a little bit, the first point that I think we all need to start with is this. If you're taking notes, that temporary things can offer only temporary relief. You see, last Monday, a lot of us went out because it was Memorial Day, and some of you all were on vacation. Some of you guys were maybe hiking or kayaking or having cookouts or camping. So my family decided to go outside, which, if you know anything about me, is like really scary. I don't like the outdoors. I'm not an outdoorsy type guy. But my family decided to go on a kayak trip. So we spent last Monday floating down the beautiful Coal River, which is awesome. By the way, if you go down the Elk River on a kayak, just know the Coal River is way better. So we spent time in the calmness of the water, just kind of floating around, doing a little bit of swimming. 
and the calmness of the water, the time spent with my family, and the barbecue dinner that followed after that was provided by my parents was really, really great and enjoyable. But the thing that wasn't enjoyable was the sunburn that I had after I got off the river. You see, my mom and my wife like to give me advice, and a lot of times I don't like to take it. And one of the pieces of advice they gave me was, Dylan, it's going to be sunny today. You should probably wear sunscreen. And like a four-year-old, I looked at them and I said, no, it's okay. I don't get sunburned. Uh, I was kind of wrong. So when I got off the river, I quickly realized that I had gotten super, super sunburned. I mean, like, you had, like, the, the choco tan type thing going on. Like, if you lift up, like, my shorts, it was a literal difference between, like, 50 different shades. It was, like, red and pasty white, and it was terrible. And I started to realize that I had this really bad burning sensation in my legs. And then I fell out of my kayak, hit my leg on a rock, and that didn't feel good at all. Uh, but the thing was... You know, my mom and my wife had been right, but this happens to the best of us. I mean, all of us have a time where we don't put on sunscreen. We know we should. After all, check out this awesome picture of young Matt Santon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't even, like, yes, my, sun, my sunburn was bad. It was definitely not that bad. Also, Matt's kind of ripped, so good job, Matt. Uh, that's awesome. I love that. He's looking pretty good. So the thing about it is, we get this sunburn, and we all know the, the temporary relief. And so, drum roll, please. You don't actually have to do it. Aloe, right? We all love aloe. Like, aloe is awesome. It's kind of gross, because when you put it on, it's, like, really sticky, and it makes you feel like you're rubbing glue all over yourself, which is kind of gross. But aloe is amazing. So right before bed on Monday night, with my sunburn, my wife says, hey, Dylan, you need to put some aloe on. I said, okay, that's fine. She hands me the bottle, and I put a little bit of aloe on my legs. And for a little bit, there was some temporary relief. It was enough relief for me to lay in bed, uh, to go to sleep, and then to get woken up at 3 a.m. by my dog, who is ridiculous. And so at 3 a.m. when I woke up to let my dog out, I quickly realized a couple things. One, that the relief provided by the aloe was totally gone. So uh, this thing probably says it works for like four hours. That's probably pretty accurate. Like four hours is about how long I got out of it. Uh, the other thing I realized, I was still burnt. Like go figure, the aloe didn't cure the burn. And I think the thing is, this is very similar to our life. A lot of times in life, we have these really painful, hard things. We go through really difficult, stressful, busy seasons. And I think we turn to different forms of aloe to provide relief. You know, when there's a family crisis that hits, when we're diagnosed with an illness, when we're buried in work, when we can't seem to find the light at the end of the tunnel, we typically turn to something to find peace and relief. And I think the things that we turn to, unfortunately, are very similar to aloe because they're temporary. You know, for some of us, your aloe may be, or your temporary relief may come from having a drink. Maybe it comes from your favorite food. Maybe it comes from binging on Netflix or going on a run or maybe meditation or time spent with friends and family. You see, we all have some type of aloe. And when life hurts, we run to our bathroom and we start rubbing that stuff on. But the thing is, four hours later, the relief, or four days or four months, the relief that it offered us is gone. You see, all of these things that we turn to as aloe in our life, they just keep letting us down. And so our first big point today is this, that temporary things can offer only temporary 
relief. You see, the drink that you had is eventually going to wear off. Your friends and family are eventually going to be too busy to hang out with you. Netflix, like, it's already going downhill very rapidly. I don't even like it anymore. All these things are fleeting, and they're just like aloe. And so when life hurts, we walk over and we put a little more on. And so if our typical sources of relief aren't working, the question arises, where do we turn? In the moments that are the hardest in life, where are we supposed to run to if everything we've ever known to fix the problem isn't going to actually fix the problem? And I think in the same way that temporary things offer only temporary relief, our second point is this, that eternal things offer everlasting peace or everlasting things offer everlasting peace. So today, we're going to dive in to the end of Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica. And we need to understand, I think, a little bit of context before we get started. Because if we understand the context of the letter, we can understand what the people are going through. And we can understand that those people aren't that far off from you and I. So to give some context, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, is writing this letter as he did uh, a lot of the New Testament is mostly letters. Um, He's writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica. But I think the early church, like the church just removed from Jesus, we tend to fantasize about. I think that you and I think back to the days like right after Jesus and we're like, oh, that must have been great. Like Jesus was just gone. The church was being built. Like things were going great. But the reality is that the early church was not like that at all. You know, a lot of times we see pictures and hear stories of the early church like breaking bread together in their houses and doing these like little home uh, studies together and praying and doing communion in their houses. But the problem is they weren't doing that in their houses because they wanted to just have a dinner party. They were doing it in their houses because their faith wasn't welcome in the public square. You see, in those days, being a follower of Jesus was an extremely problematic thing. So some of you guys may watch YouTube videos or go through the Bible app, and you may have heard of this thing called the Bible Project. And if you haven't heard of it, check it out sometime, write that down, look it up on YouTube. It's amazing. But it's run by this guy named Tim Mackey, who is like an absolute genius on the Bible. And in his introduction to 2 Thessalonians, he says this about the church at Thessalonica. They were persecuted Christians who were facing violent opposition. Needless to say, life for the Thessalonians was really difficult, really messy, really busy, and really stressful. And suddenly, we now have some common ground with them because our life is similar to that. And so then, this is what Paul writes to that church. And I think at a, like, at a time where everything was going wrong, this is exactly what they needed. And Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way and the Lord be with all of you. You know, for a quick second, I want you to stop and ask yourselves, can you imagine what it would have been like to be an early Christian who is at times running uh, running for your life? hiding from your opposition, knowing that any day if somebody finds out that you're a Christian, you could be killed, and then this is the letter that comes to you. You'd probably expect something else. You'd probably expect something like stand up and fight for yourself or fight back or this is worth it. But instead, Paul says, no, the Lord of all peace is going to give you peace at all times in every situation, in every way, and the Lord be with you all. 
And so I think probably for them, they'd be a little bit like, well, thanks, Paul. Like, Mr. Removed from the situation. Like, you know, obviously Paul is writing a letter, so he's not with them at that time. So I think there may have been a little bit of, like, uh, tension on their part because they're like, Paul, like, why is he writing this? Like, what does he understand about pain and suffering and difficulty of life? And the thing about it is, Paul gets this better than anyone ever. You see, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul kind of goes on this tirade, I think, a little bit, of telling people all the things that he has dealt with while he's been trying to minister to people and tell them about Jesus. And so I want to read this really quick to you guys, uh, just so you can get a perspective of where Paul's coming from. He says this, five times... The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole day and night adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers, because those two things are similar, I guess. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced dangers from men who claim to believe, uh, be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all of that, I have the daily burden and concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling that weakness? And who is led astray, and I do not burn with anger. Guys, the thing about it is, the church at Thessalonica may have thought that Paul was disconnected and didn't understand, but he had faced so much more than most of them. But the thing is, for you and I, this looks a little different, right? Because we live in 21st century America where everything is a little bit safer. That doesn't mean everything is easy all the time, but it's definitely easier than it was in Thessalonica Uh, in the early days after Jesus. So I think a modern version of what this looks like in our life may be something like this. Five times a month, I had to put gas in my car. Three times, I didn't even get to sleep until midnight. Once, I had to miss watching The Bachelor, and I spent a whole day at the DMV. I was slandered by mean Facebook comments, and I wasn't able to buy a new phone the day it came out. I worked 45 hours this week, and my boss told me I wasn't even working hard enough. My wife yelled at me for not doing the dishes, and my dog peed on the floor. Wah. Like, that is what we are like. That is the sum total of our life because we think that we have it so hard. But until we have been hit 39 times by the Jewish leaders or beaten with rods or stoned or shipwrecked, Paul can still speak to us about peace. And that's the same thing that happened with the church at Thessalonica. He was able to talk to them about peace because he understood the opposite of that. So the thing is, needless to say, many of the crises that you and I face aren't crises at all. That doesn't change the fact that life is hard. You know, life is tough sometimes. Maybe some of you guys are sitting here today and you're trying to grieve the loss of a family member. Maybe your job isn't working out and you're financially struggling. Maybe you're dealing with mental health issues. Maybe you're worried about your kids. Or maybe you're just not sure what tomorrow holds. The question that we have to ask ourselves is how did Paul make it? You know, with a life like Paul's, like he had every reason to quit. Like he had every reason to walk away from following Jesus and never look back. 
So how did he keep going? I think the secret sauce for Paul was that he found peace in something that was everlasting. He found that the only thing in his life that was eternally reliable was God. You know, I think you and I are so quick to turn to the temporary. We're so quick to look for the easy solution that will provide relief for the next five minutes. And the thing is, Paul knew that those things weren't going to work anymore. So I love a couple things about 2 Thessalonians 3.16, and I want to just talk over a few of them with you as we break this, uh, break this verse down just a little bit more, because I think there's some really good nuggets of truth for all of us in this verse. And the first one is this, that Paul actually calls God the Lord of peace. And so I'm kind of a nerd. I went to Bible school, uh, which was awesome. But I really like the nerdy, like, let's dig into the Greek a little bit. Or let's, like, look at this a little closer. So I went back and I started looking into the Greek of what is the Lord of peace actually mean. And I found some pretty cool stuff. The first thing I found is that that first word, which we translate into Lord, is the Greek word Kyrios, K-Y-R-I-O-S. And we translate it into Lord, but the thing about it is, maybe a better, like, good, accurate definition of that word is the controller, right? So if we break it down just a little bit, we say, now may the controller of peace himself give you peace at all times. That's pretty cool. The second thing I found was the word that's translated rest is a word called Irene, is how you would say that in the Greek. And what that means, uh, or the, the word that translates peace, sorry, is actually better translated into rest. And so we put those two things together. What it tells us, what Paul is saying here, is may the controller of all rest himself give you peace or rest at all times. The second thing that's really cool is that Paul says, may he give it to you. It's a gift. It's a thing that God is giving to us. Who in here, by a show of hands, likes receiving gifts? Anybody? Cool. That's gifts with a T, not gifts like the thing that you post on the internet. Um, The cool thing about this is I think all of us like receiving gifts, and we all know that the best gifts are the ones that we have to do nothing to receive, right? Like Christmas gifts or birthday gifts, things where we just get them out of love. And the cool thing is that this gift of peace, this gift of rest that God gives us is freely given and is not dependent on you and what you're doing. It's fully dependent on the fact that God loves you. And for me, that just offers a sense of peace itself. The fact that a God who is perfect could love a guy who is imperfect blows my mind. The next thing that I love about this is Paul goes on to say he gives you peace, but not only that, he gives it, and it's available in every time and in every way. You know, I think you and I tend to forget the times that God has given us peace. You see, we talk about how God gave us peace when we are dealing with insert whatever current trial we're in here, but then when tomorrow is hard, we forget all about the peace that he's offered to us. But what's really cool about the peace that God offers, and is the same way that he's eternal, his peace is eternal. And yeah, it's for the big trials and struggles in life, but it's also for the day-to-day small things that a lot of us face every single day. Can you imagine having peace at all times in every way? 
You know, to me, that's amazing because it seems so contradictory to what our life actually looks like. You see, we, like, we opt in to this relief, like this temporary thing over and over and over again. We can't even imagine what it would look like to have peace in all times and in all ways. And so the thing that I kind of came back to is this. If Paul says, may the Lord or controller of peace or rest himself give you peace at all times in every way, why don't I feel that? Like, why does life still hurt? Why is it that even though I read my Bible, I listen to Caleb, and I go to church every single Sunday, why does this, like, this sense of peace still evade me? Why can't I feel it in my day-to-day life? Better question, why can't we make it through the trials that we have with the same love and confidence in God that Paul had? You see, I think the big disconnect is that God is ready and willing to give us this peace. But like any gift, we have to receive it. You see, the thing is, the final part of this verse says this. The Lord be with you all. As I was looking at the verse, I tend to see this connection between the presence of God and the peace of God. And I think that the more and more aware, or aware that we are of God's presence in our life, the more we can feel his peace in our lives as well. You see, the way that we receive this gift of peace that God is offering is by remembering what we know to be true about our loving Father God. So as we are about to head out of here today, I have a couple things to wrap us up because I think that they're really important that we remember a couple things about God. And the first one is this that God is with me. You see, last uh, series we talked about was God is. And Matt kind of talked about how we can't have right relationships built on wrong assumptions. And so we need to understand a couple things about God. The first one is that God is with us. Going to another 316 verse, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells inside of you. What that means for you and I is that every single day, no matter what trial we're going through, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is alive in us, and He is with us. And on our hardest days, when life hurts the most and when we need some lasting rest, God is literally not just with us, but also in us. The second thing we need to remember is that God is greater than me. You know, a lot of times when we're facing trials and we're facing things that are hurtful and difficult and we can't seem to get through it, we tend to reduce God to the same level of power that we have. And we forget that God is way more powerful than us. A verse that I love also from the Apostle Paul, the same guy who was stoned and shipwrecked and beaten and all these different things that he faced, he writes in the letter to the church at Ephesus, Uh, The book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work, once again, within us. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that you and I think of God as such a small person sometimes, when in reality, he is so, so big. When we can't handle it, God can You see, finally, the last thing I think we need to remember as we're closing up is this, that while God is with us and while God is greater than us, 
the most important thing is that God is for us. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, once again, the Apostle Paul he says, and we know that in all, good thi- or in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, no matter how the world seems to dish out pain and hurt and stress and busyness and trials, the Christian can always remember that all things are being worked together for the good of those that love him. So just to recap, God is with us. I think that's amazing, right? On the hardest day in life, God is with us. Second, God is greater than us. He is way more powerful than you and I, and he is not temporary like all the things we turn to. And finally, God is for us. You know, I think that once we remember these things about God, once we remember his character and remember his love for us, we can finally have this peace that we've always been looking for. And that peace that God offers is never going to go away because neither is he. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll finish up. And I hope that this week is a little more peaceful for you guys. Dear Lord, thank you for all these people that have come here today to worship you, to learn about you, and just to figure out how to navigate through life when it's difficult. God, we're so thankful that you are with us, that you are greater than us, and that you are for us. And that because of those things, you offer us peace. Help us to have a great week and help Big Kick to be awesome. In Jesus' name, amen.